0: everyone it is sunday may the 26th 2019 it is currently 10:28 p.m. central time well i was just about to upload the sermon that i preached this evening at victory baptist church when all of a sudden i started laughing and the reason i started laughing is i was thinking about something that happened during the sermon and so I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll grab the iPad real quick and record an introduction to the sermon where I kind of give everyone a behind-the-scenes look. For all the people who were not there, they, they maybe maybe you'll be able to hear it, maybe you will not, but I think it's hilarious. Maybe you will not think it's hilarious as I do, but, but I thought I would take a few minutes just to tell you about it, all right? Will you, will you give me just a few minutes of your time, all right? Here we go. For those who do not know, Victory Baptist Church is literally located in the middle of nowhere. I always joke that the only people who can find Victory Baptist Church are, number one, lost. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. Not lost spiritually, but like, you know, physically lost. That they're out driving somewhere and they get completely turned around. Their GPS stops working and they end up at this little white building in the middle of nowhere in West Texas. And they're like, oh... Let's walk in here and see what's going on. This is a weird place for a building in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so either A, they're lost, again, physically, and they happen to walk into our building, or B, they've been placed in a witness protection program by the FBI, and they've been placed out there somewhere near our church, and that's the only church that they can go to because, well, they can't go anywhere else because, well, they're in a witness protection program by the FBI. That's literally the only people who can find our church so it is very uncommon in fact it is it, i would say it's extremely uncommon for just random visitors just to walk into our church that's not normal usually they call they try to figure out where we are they've heard us online they email me they're asking some questions about the service they don't just come walking in we're not a you know we're not a, a church located in a city where at any point visitors could walk in i don't even know what that's like to be a pastor in that kind of church when visitors come we typically know So it's very uncommon. Now, picture the scene. We're a little church in the middle of nowhere. And what do I decide to teach on tonight at Victory Baptist Church? Oh, I decide to return to what I taught on during the Sunday school hour. The the Synod of Dort. The Canons of Dort. Yeah this this church history thing dealing with all kinds of philological uh, controversial theological concepts, uh, church history, something that most people, if they walk into a church, they've never, I mean, they're not expecting that. They're, they're expecting a typical sermon. I mean, pe- when people walk into our church, even if they know about our church and they walk in, they still find a lot of things that we teach. that are like, wait, I've never heard this taught in any church that I've ever been into. And that's kind of our, our little thing. We're, we're an alternative to the normal way church is done. So I'm up there. All right, it's a small crowd because it's Memorial Day weekend and most of our church is out of town. All right, visiting family, doing different things. Uh, one of our families, they're dealing with a medical issue, so please pray for them. Um, so, But, you know, everyone's gone. It's a very small crowd. It's not even a really our typical Wednesday crowd. It's just a, a small crowd. But I think, you know what? Hey, we can still dig into some church history and we can advance our study of the Synod of Dort and, and the Canons of Dort. All right. So I'm ready to go. All right. We're ready to dig in. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking, and I'm talking, and all of a sudden, from if, you, if you've ever been into our church where the pulpit is, if I look straight down the center aisle at the back, there's a door, right? And all of a sudden, the door opens. Here comes one person. Here comes a second person. Here comes a third person. And I'm like, wait. Wait, what is, where did these visitors just come from? Now I'm literally in there like, and I'm thinking, oh no, 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 no. I'm teaching, I'm teaching the canons of Dort. These people, they're not gonna have a clue what I'm talking about. Or if I even say certain words, you know, like, you know, words you don't wanna say for brand new visitors election, predestination, Calvinism, all right, lapsarianism, super uh, lapsarianism, right, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. you don't want to even go into some of those uh, terminology, some of those words and some of that some of that terminology, you don't even want to go into any of those types of things, because uh, you just know that they're either going to be like, whoa, wait, wait, what? Did, wait, did he, did he say the C word, I think he said Calvin, wait, did he say the E word, I think he said election, wait, did he say limited atonement, oh, no, and I'm sitting there going, oh, what do I and my mind begins to race. And I'm thinking, well, what we? well, right, they just walked in kind of like they don't not even they're not even gonna know what's going on. Now part of me literally wanted to just stop right there and go, you know what, on second thought, tonight we're going to do a a devotional on uh you know John chapter three verse sixteen or psalm chapter twenty three i I literally almost stopped in the middle of the sermon and just said, okay, hey God like wink it out at, wink at everyone in my in my church like we wink okay we're gonna change everything right look look in the back, look in the back there's people here I don't know where they came from all right so I'm like, oh boy okay uh I can't do that so I had to you'll hear in the sermon I kind of had to back up a little bit and kind of like reintroduce the topic what we're covering is is the Synod of Dort, which was a synod uh, that occurred in 1618. And like I had to reintroduce everything, it's like a, it's, a, it's a complete train wreck, it's a complete and utter train wreck. My mind was going a million different directions. I'm like, wait, we finally get a visitor, we finally get a visitor. And the one thing you're teaching is the one thing that will run off a visitor is you're going straight into church history. And you're teaching a synod that's considered anathema by the average church uh, person in America who's very much influenced by Arminianism. I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. So you'll, it's a disaster. I don't know how it comes across in the audio. I haven't listened to it. In my brain, I don't even know what I was saying. Like part of me was thinking, oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. And then what makes it even worse? As I as I ask a question, and one of the visitors speaks up. Now they they get the right answer. They do get the right answer. But I'm like, oh no! Now they're gonna start answering questions. Like the whole thing. I just like, oh, I'm so glad that we get visitors. Uh, obviously, the way they, they as fast as they left when I stopped speaking, I don't think they'll ever come back. Um, that's kind of sad. Uh, they didn't say a word. They were gone uh, because, you know, probably they just walked into a church where they just got a seminary level <laughs> lecture on the Synod of Dort. I mean, um, wow. So I, I did try, I do, end uh, the message, you'll hear me trying to... Uh, Find points to make them very applicable and trying to make it very practical because I was trying to help the situation. I don't know. The whole thing was funny. Uh, it's probably not funny to you, but if you've ever been to our church and you know where we're located, I mean, you just know. I mean, obviously we want visitors. I mean, I'm begging. I mean, you know, if you're ever just driving by in the middle of nowhere West Texas and you see the little white building with a, bl- with a little sign that says Victory Baptist Church, just please stop and walk in just to say hi, alright? Because, hey, we. I mean, we're not going to get I mean we're not going to get visitors just by people seeing the church. It's like it's it's one of the it's one of the most discouraging things about where we're located, but at the same time it's kind of the cool thing about where we're located. I don't know. There there you could talk about pros and cons, right? Because uh I don't know. I mean the people who find us are the people, you know, we I guess the way I like to look at it is the people who find us I hope, uh, you know, are the people God, obviously I believe in the sovereignty of God, are the people God wants there, but it's the people who have to be really committed to come there, right? Because they're either going to have to drive a great distance to get there. Um, and maybe they've had, you know, maybe, maybe it'll require someone to actually move into that, to our area to even be able to attend our church. I think, uh, I think in some ways that's cool. The people who are at our church have to be pretty committed to, to to be there because we, I mean, we don't have all we don't offer all the things all the other churches do. So, just a funny story um, to kind of introduce um, everything that happened tonight. But here you go. Here is my lesson tonight on the Canons of Dort. We really we get started with the beginning of the Canons of Dort, and uh, I hope uh, well hope you'll find it helpful. Hope, hopefully you'll find it interesting. And if you know anyone out there who does care about church history and care about issues that the Canons of Dort talk about, please share these, these. You share our app, the VBC 66 app. You can get it in the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store. VBC 66 is what you look for. VBC, it stands for Victory Baptist Church, the number 66. Center in the Books in the Bible, VBC 66. Please get our app. Please share these messages with anyone, any, I don't know, the three people in the world who may be interested, four, okay? Um, obviously, that's. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is teaching church history and teaching the Senate of Dort is probably not the way to win over visitors to your church. All right, here's my message from tonight at Victory Baptist Church. Enjoy. Have a great night. Have a great day. God bless. All right. tonight I know it's kind of our its kind of a Wednesday night it's not even our typical Wednesday night crowd I mean being Memorial Day weekend I and mean, we got I mean everyone I mean look around so but so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do tonight I kind of wanted to do a devotional type study but I'd already recorded most of those devotional studies um, and posted them this week so that kind of went that way I wanted to go back to mark 11 but then I started working on mark 11 and then it turned into about 12 pages so I'm like, ah, I need I need a couple more days to try to figure that whole situation out uh, because, you know, it was one question that's now going to be 12 sermons. So, But I'm trying to work out the Mark 11. So what we'll do is we'll try to advance. Since this morning we did more review on uh, the Synod and Canons of Dort than actually advance our discussion, we'll go back to the Canons of Dort and see if we can uh, move this forward a little bit since it is taking a long time to to get this uh, accomplished, all right? I don't feel bad about doing the review because when, you're, when you do a historical overview, if you don't go back and at least review it one or two times, everyone's gonna forget it. I mean, I mean, you, you know how hard it is to prepare for a history test, trying to remember names and dates and all of that. So I think, I think that was beneficial. Um, no questions about the theological overview we completed this morning. We saw the con- contrast, of the two different positions, five on this side, five on that side. Uh, the way I approached it was trying to show you, in some cases, I don't know if we should even be fighting some of those issues, because when you really get down to, to it, you're kind of saying the same thing. There are theological implications that need to occur, so my perspective is, wait, instead of fighting about these, like, whatever, which one ever you want to fight about, take a step back and let's try to deal with the deeper theological issue separated from the emotionalism that comes in when dealing with the point, the quote-unquote, the tulip. Does that make sense? I think that's a better approach. Hopefully, hopefully I was looking at some of the stats today on some of the people listening to the Canons of Dort and someone from some Reformed church is listening. So, you know, they, you know, who knows? They're probably burning, you know, burning it and because they're going to feel like I'm rejecting it, but I'm just trying to not look at it from us versus them. I want to look at it from a historical document and try to figure it out. Hopefully that makes sense. All right, let's continue. Just We'll kind of finish this up, and then we're going to jump in tonight to the actual canons of Dort so if you have them great if you don't have them with you I do have two books they may need one okay there you go Does anybody else no all right you have to find them in there They're, all three forms of unity are in there so you have to find the canons all right I'll read this uh, last statement and then we'll we'll move on all right this is very important for this we'll add this kind of to your historical overview this kind of goes with the historical overview the Synod of Dort officially condemned Arminian theology. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. Its influence, though, did not expire. Multitudes in the Anglican Church embraced it, as did many in dissenting denomination, including Baptist and Methodists. Today, Arminian theology tends towards semi-Pelagianism, which holds to the notion that the fallen human will has some power to incline to good while also accepting the necessity of grace for salvation. It teaches that God gives grace only after man wills to take the first step. Thus, man does not receive Christ because of God's grace, but rather receives grace after he decides to receive Christ. Now, let me read that again because that seems subtle. This is very, very, very important, all right? Uh, Does everybody remember the term ordus salutis? Okay, order of salvation, all right. all right. I don't want to get back into all of that, but this definitely relates to that. Let me read it one more time, all right? Let me back this up, all right? Today, Arminian theology tends towards semi-Pelagianism, which holds to the notion that the fallen human will has some power to incline to good while also accepting the necessity of grace for salvation. It teaches that God gives grace only after man wills to take the first step. Thus, man does not receive Christ because of God's grace, but rather receives grace after he decides to receive Christ. Everybody got that? Let me read it again. It teaches that God gives grace only after man wills to take the first step. Thus, man does not receive Christ because of God's grace, but rather he receives grace after he decides to receive Christ. Does everyone understand that? Yes? Let me read it again no everybody got it We sure we can pass a test on it all right that's a major theological difference there's a major theological difference I receive Christ because of God's grace or I receive Christ in order to to get God's grace I mean that's a drastic that's what I said there are some major underlying theological issues here that it's not like well you just think a little differently than I do I mean this is like you start you start ending up like you're on one side of the Grand Canyon and they're on the other, all right? This is some major division uh, going on here, all right? Denying uh, the sovereignty of God in uh, many modern denominations. Arminian theology continues to be widely accepted, mostly by default and often without any teaching of Reformation truth to bring biblical perspective. I will I will argue it is the default position. It is the default position. Alright? It is the default position because, especially in America, this idea of freedom, right? I have the free, I have free will. I get to choose. It is like it's a part of American DNA. And what happens? Our way of thinking infiltrates the church. I don't care what kind of movie you watch, if a movie even remotely begins to even dabble into philosophical concepts, the idea of of libertarian free will shows up. Libertarian free will shows up constantly in movies. And Christians won't even recognize that it's there. But guess what? Just because you don't recognize that it's there, you start talking like you obviously caught it, even though you didn't catch it. So that's why you have to learn how to... uh, uh, look at things alright everybody got that alright any questions about that here we go the canons of Dort everybody have them open how do your how does yours read All right, okay, good. So mine's pretty much the same. Okay, mine the same, pretty much the same. All right, let me read that just for those listening online. The Canons of Dort, the decision of the Synod of Dort, please note it's a decision. They They made a final decision on the five main points of doctrine in dispute in the Netherlands. Five points, that's why we did the theological overview, right? We understand the five points. Those five points could be summarized using tulip right and what are the main five issues total depravity unconditional election limited atonement is a of grace, grace perseverance of the saints now if you want to do it in this way right instead of saying total depravity because that gives a side to the issue right just say depravity right does that make sense what's the second Election, right? Okay? Right. Or total depravity, we're going to TULIP. Unconditional election, right? So we would just remove unconditional and just say election, right? And the reason we would do this is because both sides have to say what they believe about depravity. Both sides have to say what they believe about election. So if you just remove the, the, the TULIP, like, and because sometimes this is what happens. If you say TULIP, anyone who's been in an Armenian church, they immediately go, you're of Satan. Just say let's talk depravity don't call it total depravity just refer to depravity right or election right or atonement or grace or the security of salvation or just salvation like if you if you can just get a theological discussion going on depravity like when i started teaching this church depravity i didn't refer to it as total depravity because y'all didn't know probably what total depravity was but um, I just talked, I, and I, when I talked about election, I just talked about election. I didn't call it unconditional in any way, shape, or form. Does that make sense? So when we started, when we started dealing with those issues, I did not approach these issues from that perspective. I approached it from a more a, a biblical perspective instead of getting into an argument about, hey, which side to go. All right, so does that make sense? All right, so let's work through this, all right? So, again, the canons of Dort, 1618 to 1619, right? This was the decision of the Synod of Dort on the five main points of doctrine in dispute. And again, the best way to look at it is not to put those five points into a a group. State the doctrine, don't state the doctrine in a, a side, and then you can have a philological discussion about it. Does that make sense? If you start using those terms, it turns into a doctrinal dispute that doesn't accomplish much, all right? And this is the reason why studying church history is so important. All right, so let's start with the first, the first doctrine outlined here at the Synod of Dort, 1618, 1619. The first major issue they dealt with, this is the way it's labeled, the first main point of doctrine is divine election and reprobation. Now, say it that way, you get what? Controversy, right, you get controversy. Now, again, I've stated this, again, uh, Jacobus, Arminius, or Calvin, it doesn't matter, both of them believed in what? Election, right? The issue is how it plays itself out. So we don't have to get into a major discussion here. What we want to see is what the Synod did in 16, 18, 19 and see if we can unpack it in any way, shape, or form to make it make some sense, all right? This is how they stated it. The judgment concerning divine predestination which the Synod declares to be in agreement with the word of God and accepted till now in the Reformed churches. Now the reason they say accepted till now was why? It had been accepted till now until one of their pastors, Jacobus Arminius, started teaching opposite to it. And then then he passed away. His followers signed the document, the remonstrance. And now the synod is there going, wait a minute. This had been accepted until now. Now, they believed it was in agreement with the word of God. Now, that we will have to get into when we start taking it apart from a scriptural perspective. All right. So. They're going to set forth th- this idea in several articles. Now, this is very important, all right? Working through this is going to be somewhat tedious, so take good notes, ask lots of questions, okay? Everybody ready? Article 1, all right? Here's Article 1. It's just, it's funny that in 2019, these ideas are considered controversial, but the church The church in America doesn't study a lot of history. And so they they don't even know that these issues have been talked about for all this time. Here's Article 1. God's right to do what? To condemn. Now make sure you get, there's a word there if you do not get. God's right to condemn? All people. The key word here is the word all. The key word here is all. If you do not understand that, you're, not, you're going to misunderstand their entire perspective and your perspective may be drastically different. God's right to condemn all people. All right, here's what they say. As all men have sinned in Adam... Stop right there. Okay. Now, I, I, when we start taking this apart, it's going to take us 10 years to get this through this, but that's okay. All right. When we say all men have sinned in Adam... This is a reference to what theological concept? Okay? Definitely original sin. Amen. That's good. There's another concept here. Okay, what? Say it again. Amputation, okay? Okay. Sometimes we refer to it as federal headship. All right? That Adam serves as a representative of all men, right? And as he sinned, we are all represented in him, and therefore his sin, his guilt, becomes ours. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea. They're like, wait a minute, that's not fair, that's not fair. I don't want to be guilty in Adam, I didn't do anything. Right. But it sets up a, the idea of what? What did you say again? Amputation. amputation. Now remember, amputation is what? The imputing of guilt or righteousness to your account. Adam's guilt, because we're in Adam, is imputed to us. We don't like that. We didn't ask for it. We didn't like it. But it does set up a very important thing that we do like. Our sins are imputed upon Christ, and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So when we stand before God, we are declared righteous not because because of our righteousness, but because of an alien righteousness imputed to us. I am so glad for that, because if I tried to stand before God in my righteousness, the end, it's over. All right, everybody understand that? So this is a very important concept. Many today understand it. Some don't, but there's a lot right there saying, all, 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 as all men have sinned in Adam. That's very important. We're, we're all guilty in Adam. Right? So before we do anything, Before we could even make an action, we're guilty in Adam. As all men have sinned in Adam, lie under the curse, and are deserving of eternal death, God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin. I'll stop right there. That's hard for us to comprehend. It's making a a very important argument. God is holy. We're all guilty just starting off in Adam, right? Now, we know we're also guilty. Someone said original sin. We're guilty in our nature, right? And then we become guilty in our action. We don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because of what we are, right? Our sinful nature, right? So, as a result, we're all guilty, God is holy. Therefore, God would be completely just to do what? To not condemn all of us or to not save any of us. Now, that people don't like that because that makes us feel what? Man, we're really bad. Okay, we're we're really 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 bad, right? Uh, I I don't want to I don't want to be viewed as being so bad. Um, I would like to be viewed as not being so bad. All right. So but they're making they're trying to make an argument. Now, why are they trying to set this argument up? Because it comes down to what God's how we view God. Like we if we view God as completely holy and that and that we are completely helpless, right? We talked about it this morning when in our study of Romans. Like we we are helpless. We have nothing to bring to God. We we have nothing, right? We're, We're beggars, right? We have nothing to offer God. When we see it from that perspective, that helps. And that's why they start this way. They want to start here because they think this is the right way to make their argument in the synod and in the council and all the different things that took place. Now, let me read the whole thing again. As all men have sinned in Adam lie under the curse and are deserving of eternal death, God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin. According to the words of the apostle. Now, here we go. Grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 3. Please note, what book are they turning to? Romans. Why are we studying Romans on Sunday mornings? (laughs) Because we're studying Romans. The Synod of Dort, all right? Like, you're going to have, the two are going to uh, come together. Now, I understand that we've spent five weeks in Romans chapter 1. So, by the time we get to Romans 3, no one here is going to remember any of this. Okay, but you get the idea, all right? Romans chapter 3, so just take good notes. And, of course, all of this will be posted all over the place online, all right? Romans chapter 3, everybody ready? But you already know which verse he's going to, or not he, they. Verse 19, very good. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now, if we go back, well, we'll just go with what, because I know what I'm going to do. If I go back to Romans 3, then, yeah, I just read the verse, okay. If I start, exp- if I start taking the verse apart, it will, will, it's over, okay. Even just reading it, I probably should have someone else read it. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, what they want to emphasize there, obviously there's a lot we need to unpack there, but what they want to emphasize is what? The guilt of the entire world before God. That's what they're trying to emphasize. Now, I hate... I hate when, I mean, I know in the synod they could just quote the verse. They couldn't expound the verse. You know, I hate doing that because the verse really needs to be taken apart, but I I can't do that. We'll do that when we get there uh, in a couple of years. The next verse they quote, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We all know this one, correct? Romans 3, 23. You can probably quote it from memory. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23. And the, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, y'all know all of those verses, obviously. All right, so what's the main point they want to make in Article 1? Everyone is guilty. We all deserve condemnation. And, God, and here's the main point. God would be just in saving no one. All right? So three, let's get those three major points. What's the three major points? We're all guilty. Number 2, we all deserve condemnation. And number 3, God would be just and not saving anyone. That's a very fundamental place to start because a lot of times especially in modern day christianity it's almost the way it's taught is god's just really lonely and he needs people and so he he can't live without you right and and he really he really needs you really bad and you know you're not really so bad and, and god has to do it because if god doesn't do it then that wouldn't be fair and that wouldn't be right i'm not saying that that's how it's it's never it's never sometimes spoken in such a blunt way, but it's implied in a lot of messages, in a lot of ways. And, and sometimes it's not intentional, sometimes it's done unintentional, in many cases out of a lack of knowledge maybe of the historical debate that has raged since, you know, the Council of, of Dort, I mean, I mean the Synod of Dort. I mean, even though it's the 400, I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're celebrating the 400-year anniversary of the Synod of Dort, most Christians you know. Don't even know it happened, okay? All right, so that's, that's kind of, I mean, if, they don't, if they're not familiar with this, they might, may not be careful. Just remember, theological language is important because theological language ultimately should be what kind of language? Biblical language. And the Bible makes it very clear that we're all guilty before God. All right, Article 2. All right, so what's the three main points of Article 1? We're all guilty. We all deserve condemnation. All right, those are the three major points. I know they don't outline it that way, but I'm helping them, okay? All right. I'm improving on the Senate of Dorian, 400. Okay, all right. I don't know if it's an improvement. I don't know if it's an improvement, but I like to make it what? Okay. I like to make it able to remember, right? I try to, I mean, when you're taking these historical concepts like the Senate of Dorian, you've got to try to make it somewhat easy to remember, okay? This is not the kind of typical kind of teaching that, you know, you hear, all right? Here's article number two. The manifestation of God's love. All right, that's, that's, that's some good news, right? Because God didn't have to do anything. Okay. The manifestation of God's love. But in this, the love of God was manifested. That he sent his only begotten son into the world. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have... Everlasting life. They reference two passages. You already know one of those, right? John 3.16 and 1 John 4.9. 1 John 4.9. Everybody got that? Now, they don't say anything about Article 2, do they? They don't say anything about Article 2. What do you think their emphasis is? That God sending his son was not something that he was forced to do, but it was an act of love. It was an act of love. He chose, I mean, we could talk within, within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. We, could under, we understand how it works, but God sent forth his son willingly, and the son willingly, right, went obviously obeyed, kept the law, died on our behalf, that there's, it's an act of love. It's not an act of, well, if he didn't do it, it wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be right. No, if he, the fact that he did it at all should overwhelm us. He didn't have to. Right? We, we understand um, this is the difference between a godly love and a human love. Right? Now we can get really Practical. We have a tendency to love, right? Those who what? Love us. Or we have a tendency to love in what way? When we, for us to receive something in return, right? We're very selfish in our approach. This is God looking at a creation that all deserves his wrath, and therefore, they have nothing to offer him, right? They have nothing to offer. I know it's typically taught, you know, God, God needed us, right? God, he didn't need us because that would show an imperfection in God, right? God chose to pour out his love on a wicked creation that did not have anything to offer him, he has something to offer us, which is his love. That's godly love. godly love. Godly love is when you love that that doesn't love you back. God's love is when you, as Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Well, why? Because you're showing love, not because you hope to get anything in return. Love your enemy. Why should I love my enemy? Right? I mean, what am I going to get out of that? Because you're demonstrating God's love, not man's love. Man's love is like, okay, I love you. But there's a limit. And if I don't start getting something in return, then I'm going to do what? I'm going to take my love and I'm going to go somewhere else. God gave his love and guess what? You did not deserve any of it and any, neither did I, neither did anyone else. So this is a, a, a very important point. It's just interesting. They don't explain it, do they? I kinda, some ways I kind of like that. Some ways you kind of go, wait, wait, wait. You got to explain it. So that's why they left it up to preachers to, to do so. All right. Article three. What's Article three? The preaching of the gospel. And that men may be brought to believe God mercifully. Please note, merciful. Descend preachers is an act of mercy. I know you don't perceive me as an act of mercy. mercy. Okay. You probably perceive me as an act of a lot of other things, but not mercy. All right? But God mercifully sends the messengers of those most joyful tidings. Please note they use joyful tidings. Gileon right. is the Greek word for gospel. Right. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52, in the King James, it uses the word good tidings. In the Septuagint, The the Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, manuscript, it is the word gileon, which is the New Testament Greek word for gospel. Good tidings, right? The the pastor is to be messengers of the most joyful tidings. What are those joyful tidings or that gospel? God sent forth his son to die for your sins, right? That's the, the joyful tidings. Right, so God mercifully sends the messengers of those most joyful tidings to whom he will to whom he will and at what time he pleases Stop right there Now this would cause Now this would be the first statement made in the synod where the arminians may get the Arminius side may get a little upset because this is placing God sending the messengers per, completely to his sovereignty to whom he will and and at what time he pleases. It's placing the sending forth of the messenger, no matter who that messenger may be, as an act of God's sovereignty. Now, some who would completely reject that, just make sure you understand that. By whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. If you have a paper copy or the book, you can underline, circle the word called. All right, called. Now, in the the world of theology, there are two kinds of calls spoken of. What are the two kinds of calls? The general call and the effectual call. Not everyone believes that. Not everyone believes that. Just make sure you understand that. So he's referring to this as a call. Some say some may refer to it as a gospel call, right, and a, as kind of a general call. Some will say the gospel call can be general and the gospel call can be effectual. Gets into a lot of discussion there. We'll get that into it as we move forward. All right. So, um, so, by whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. Then they're getting ready to quote a scripture. How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Romans chapter 10, 14 through 15. Romans chapter 10, 14 through 15. All right, let's stop right here and let's get really, really practical. All right, because this is very important. I know this, and I want to make sure I don't mess you up historically. What I'm about to say was not in the minds of the writers of the canons of Dort. They simply wanted to focus on the fact that even this... Now, and one way, they, this is how they were thinking of it. They wanted everyone to know that God sending forth messengers, God sending forth pastors, right? That God did so at, a, at an act of mercy. Everybody got that? He did so in an act of mercy. Now, from our perspective, we can take that truth and we can apply it in a very clear and biblical way to our everyday lives. It is important, and I know that it's hard to think of it this way. Um, you know, all the years sitting in a pew as a church member, I didn't necessarily always think of it this way. Um, you sitting in the pew or a table, wherever, you don't always think of it this way. But every time you hear, you, you show up to church, the fact that there is a church, the fact that there is a pastor, anytime you hear a, a sermon anywhere, you have to stop and think, that is a sign of God's mercy. That is a sign of God's mercy. right? Because how could they believe Unless they hear. And how can they hear? Unless someone is sent. Who sends them? God. It's an act of mercy. Sometimes we, we almost, sometimes as Christians, we almost view church as an obligation instead of an act of mercy. Correct? I mean, we've all been guilty of it. Right? We see church as just an organization, and then there, there can be fights, there can be splits, there can be all the things that can happen in, in churches. It's sad that things that happen, but they can happen. And so it, it would be different if everyone approached it that the fact that we're here, the fact that, the, the, that we're studying, the fact that we're, it's an act of mercy. God didn't have to send anybody, he didn't have to send anyone. That, that's overwhelming. That I, I heard the gospel because a church, right? That's why I heard the gospel, right? You heard the gospel in different places. Sometimes it was a pastor. Sometimes it was just another Christian, right? Whoever gave you the gospel, that was an act of mercy that you may have never spent any time thanking God for that act of mercy. We, we sometimes don't walk in here and go, Lord, we just thank you for the act of mercy of having a church, having a pastor, having whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? All right, so hopefully... Hopefully, that will challenge you. I know they they do want us to understand it's an act of mercy, but they're not necessarily going in that direction. I'm trying to look at it more from a pastoral standpoint that this is a a powerful lesson to all of us. And again, Romans 10, 14 through 15 was the passage they quoted. All right? Article 4. Article 4. All right. Let's go through these again. What was Article 1? Okay. Okay. God's right to condemn all people. Yeah. Yeah, God's right, uh, God's right to condemn all people. And I gave you three points there. Okay, we won't make you review all of those. Article two, the manifestation of God's love. And how did he manifest his love? By sending his son. That's an act of love. Number three, the preaching of the gospel. And what's the main thing we want to understand that? It's an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. All right, number four. A twofold response to the gospel. A two-fold response to the gospel. I think we probably know the twofold response, correct? We'll see. The wrath of God abides upon those who believe not this gospel. Now stop right there. Now that now, again, when you go through this if you think about what they're doing, they're kind of being really clever here because they're not necessarily running after the points that uh, Jacobus, Arminius, and those of the remonstrants, they weren't necessarily going after the issues that caused the greatest amount of division. What they're trying to do is going with uh, ideas that they thought there would have been some form of unity on, correct? Everyone should be able to agree on these points. We're all guilty on Adam. We all deserve... God's wrath. God doesn't have to save anybody. Like, they're kind of looking like, can we agree on this? Like, they're trying to build that hopefully they could get enough agreement that whenever they got to the points of disagreement, it would not divide as much as it did. But we know church history, the river split, and, and all the things that took place. All right, so let's see where they go with this. The wrath of God abides upon those who believe not this gospel. Make sure you understand this. Both sides would have said, Amen. The wrath of God abides upon those who believe not this gospel. The only way to be saved is believing in it, correct? Rejecting it. God's wrath abides on us. But such as receive it and embrace Jesus the Savior by a true and living faith are by him delivered from the wrath of God and from destruction and have the gift of eternal life conferred upon them. Both sides should say what to that? Amen. Amen. There should have been no disagreement on that. And I doubt there would have been, well, remember all the, uh, all the, (laughs) all the remonstrants and all the Arminians left. Okay. They didn't stick around for the, they didn't stick around for the synod because they wouldn't, uh, remember what was, they were supposed to do. They were supposed to provide scripture and they didn't want to provide scripture. They wanted to make an argument and they were basically shown what? The door. All right. And that's what happened. All right. So, but everyone can agree with article four, right? Basically, what's the twofold response? Well, you could think of it two ways. The twofold response is belief or unbelief, right? Accepting or rejecting, right? Now, uh, what you're referring to is the twofold response from God, right? God's wrath or God's grace or forgiveness, right? Okay. You get the idea? All right. Article 5. I think we'll stop with this one. Article 5. Everybody ready? The sources of unbelief and of faith. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. This one, uh, you know, when you watch a TV show and you get to that dramatic scene where something bad's about to happen? Okay. As this... If the Arminians would have been present at this time in this council or at this synod, this would have been time for someone to cue up the dramatic music. Because now this is where the issues are really going to start separating everyone. The sources of unbelief and of faith. The cause or guilt of this unbelief, as well as of all other sins is no wise in God, but in man himself. Whereas faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through him is the free gift of God, as it is written, by grace have you been saved. This is Ephesians 2.8 if you need to look at it. Ephesians 2.8. I'll read it again. You probably all can quote this. By grace have have ye been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the... Now stop right here. All right. In fact, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians 2. All right. This seems like a very common verse (laughs) in church history. It's not so... uh, There's a lot of dispute over this verse in church history. All right. Everybody ready? All right. So let's go through the first part. For by grace are you saved. Everybody will say amen to that, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. Now here comes, now we would have to spend a lot of time exegeting this passage and taking it apart, but you'll get the idea. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Now here is the division between Jacobus Arminius and the side of the Synod of Dort. When it says, that not of yourselves, what is it referring to? Some will argue that not of yourselves is referring to faith. The faith itself doesn't come from you. The faith itself is a part of God's grace and God's gift. Others read that and go, no, 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 no. The faith comes from where? The faith comes from me. The gift of God is just God's grace to save me. All right? That's a drastically different approach in how to exegete and take apart this passage. Like, that's not saying the same thing. One, they say, yes, the whole thing is a gift of God, including my faith. And the other, like, no, faith is something you can have. God doesn't have to give you faith. Because if, if, if you argue that God gives you faith, then what's going to be the argument? Well, he doesn't give everyone's saving faith. Therefore, you start walking into the subject of election, which is what the Jacobus Arminius did not want to walk into. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so this becomes a major issue. It may not, well, I mean, at some point, we'll ha- I mean, we've studied Ephesians 2.8 50,000 times, but at some point, we'll have to break it down even more so that we can look into that. But if I do that right now, I just want you to be aware of that controversy, all right? Likewise, look at Philippians one twenty nine. All right, I'm going to look at this because they they do one of the things I hate. They don't quote the whole verse. I hate when people do that. Right, Philippians one twenty nine. Okay, do I? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't have taken that much more ink to print the whole verse. All right. Philippians 1 For unto you it is given in the, in, the, in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. All right. Now, what are they making an argument? It was given unto them to believe and given unto them to, what's the last part there? Suffer. suffer right, that it's given to them, like God is involved in this, right, that's, again, that's how they're using it, Jacobus Arminius would have been like, wait, 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 God doesn't give me faith, God doesn't, no, no, we have it naturally, we can have it on our own, because our will is not so bound by sin, or, or we're not totally, what would, word they would not want to use, totally depraved, right, that's the word they would not want to use right okay we'll have to stop there all right any questions about those five articles all right so back to article 5 I'll just summarize it this way then because I just want to summarize we could review all of them but I'll just go back to article 5 just to drive this point home when it says the sources of unbelief and of faith this is the argument they are making the source of our unbelief comes from where in ourselves right? The source of our unbelief derives from within us because our hearts are, as Jeremiah states it, desperately wicked and wicked. deceitful above all things. That we are dead spiritually, right? Dead in our trespasses and sins. This would be the argument. And for the, that unbelief is inside of us. We're, we're bound in that unbelief. We're locked into that unbelief. And they would argue, the Council of Dort, Senate of Dort, that faith, Is given to us as a (laughs) gift from God, that it does not come from us. So even our faith is a gift. Not just our salvation, but even our faith. All right, does that make sense? That's their view. The other side would argue no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute here. God offers salvation, and then you're free to believe or not to believe because you have the ability to. There's a drastic different approach. Everybody get the idea? Okay, so how should we end tonight? We should end it this way, all right? Number one, if you want to write down some just summary points, number one, we should never forget the desperate condition in which we all came into this world. We should never forget the desperate condition we all entered into this world. We entered into this world, you know, you, kind of, you can kind of go back to the words of Job. How did Job say we came into the world? Naked I came into the world? We, don't, we didn't come into this world bringing anything to offer God, and we don't leave this world with anything to offer God And in and of ourselves, right? We are beggars. We are helpless. We are hopeless and we rightfully deserve the wrath of God, and God did not have to save any of us. That's, we have to, we have to never forget that, because it it keeps us humble. It keeps us humble, all right? We're nothing special in and of ourselves, all right? That's number one. Number two, we should never forget that it was because of God's love that he sent forth his son. Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you did anything for it. God gave you his love because he sovereignly chose out of his love to send forth his son. Never forget the horrible condition. Never forget God's amazing love. And then number three, and this is the point I really want to drive home in this, uh, for this message tonight. I want to drive this point home. We have to never forget that every, when you get in the car, if you turn on and you hear someone proclaiming God's word, right? When you pull up to church, when, when you, if anyone talks to you about the Bible, if you just see the Bible anywhere, the proclamation of the word, the church, the pastor, the teacher, all of it is an act of God's mercy. And we should have a greater, we should have a heart filled with thanksgiving for that. We, just, we take it for granted, do we not? Oh, time to go to church. I don't feel like going. Oh, wait. I got a Bible I don't feel like reading it. oh wait, I could listen to a sermon I don't really want to you're literally basically saying i don't have time for God the the, the very thing that God showed mercy to you in giving you you you're, you're casting it aside right that's that's a horrible thing for the eternal God of the universe to show mercy to you and you treat his act of mercy as if it's insignificant. We're all guilty of it. We have to view the proclamation of God's word, the teaching of God's word, the, the, the building of a church, pastors, teachers, that's mercy. Sometimes we're like, I need God's mercy. God's mercy is around you every time the word of God is even preached to you. The fact that you're holding scripture in your hands. He didn't have to give you scripture. I mean, there were a lot of Christians who lived a long time without ever holding a Bible. Correct? We own one. We can study it. And we have a tendency to take this thing that's an, actually an act of mercy. You know, the other day I was at a drive through And I know the people probably didn't mean this. They probably didn't understand it. But it looked so bad. I'm behind the car to order my food. And in the back window, you know, the very back of the car, there's a Bible. Right? It's warped beyond all comprehension from the sun. It's just... It looks, it looks like it hadn't been touched in 10 years. I mean, that thing was in badge. I wanted almost like a, an act of mercy run and save it, right? I was like, like I wanted to knock on the window. Let, let me have the Bible, please. Now, probably their kid threw it in the back. Probably didn't even know it was there. I mean, we, we, you know, anyone who has kids, you know, sometimes things end up in places you know. So I, I'm not going to say that the people meant it to look that way. But sometimes, you know, if you don't know where your Bible is and it's sitting in the backseat of the car, Right, yeah. Sometimes we even have more one. We don't take, but we should always, yeah. But we got to see it as an act of mercy. This is an act of mercy. Here tonight is an act of mercy. Church is an act of mercy. All right. So let's end tonight with thanking God for His mercy, and that because it doesn't matter which side you're on. This debate, everyone should be able to see that's an act of mercy. Does that make sense? Everyone should be able to see that. All right, Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, studying church history sometimes is a weighty matter, and It's sometimes people don't understand the the necessity of it, but I am thankful that we have a place tonight, even though many are out of town today, I'm thankful that we have a place where we can study things that happened in the past and understand how they are relevant to the present. And I pray that as we study these articles and the things that happened and study the word of God with these articles, that we will be confronted with scriptural truth that will focus on the authority of the scripture, not the authority of the synod. And that we will do our best to understand your word carefully, but most importantly, that we will love it, reverence it, and seek to obey it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.